You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Have you ever had a near-death experience? It's probably not the happiest way to start a sermon on Mother's Day. (laughs) Why don't you think about that for a moment? Uh, You know, some of the common ones are things like a car crash or maybe an almost car crash. I think about a time where I was on a bus heading up to winter camp. I was still a youth pastor at the time. And uh, we were driving up to McCall on icy, windy roads. And a semi-truck was sliding towards us as we were headed, headed up towards McCall. And it actually, the, the back end of the trailer clipped six inches in and took a gouge out of our bus. And we pulled the bus over and we went to inspect. And sure enough, it had hit us. And uh, you know, I just think... Had that been another foot over, I mean, we would have taken out the, the driver and we, we all would have died. Uh, and so maybe you've had a, a close call on the road, something like that. Uh, or maybe in, uh, in the air on a plane ride, I think about uh, all the times I've flown internationally, right, when you're kind of in the middle of the, in the, middle of the ocean. And one particular time, uh, I was with a bunch of students once again. Uh, Their parents had trusted myself, my brother, and a couple other leaders uh, to take these students to Australia on a senior trip and bring them home, and we just hit some of the worst turbulence. I mean, the kind of turbulence where uh, women and children and and grown men are even screaming, you know, and like the the plane seems like it's dropping, and uh, I think even the oxygen masks came down. You know, we didn't use them, but they were like, oh, sorry, you know. And one of those kind of moments, maybe you've had something like that. Uh, But one moment in particular stands out as uh, the night that I was the most scared for my physical life. And I want to share that story. This was uh, June 2016. This was before I had kids. I used to be cool. I used to go backpacking every summer. And uh, I went backpacking with my friend Stephen. Stephen is also one of our elders. We should have a picture of that's Stephen and I. We look so happy and unsuspecting, don't we? <laughs> so happy on the hike up. We were hiking in the Sawtooths. If you've never been to the Sawtooths, the Sawtooth Mountains up in Stanley are beautiful. You have to go. Uh, even if you don't like hiking, you have to go and at least drive by and see them. And uh, we were hiking to Sawtooth Lake, and it was kind of, you know, we left a little bit late. It was starting to get nighttime by the time we arrived at the lake, and there was, you know, it was a little overcast, kind of like today, right? It was a little overcast, and so we set up our tent quickly and, uh, you know, had a quick dinner and went to bed. And uh, we slept for a few hours until probably one, two in the morning, where we were awoken by the most fierce thunderstorm I have ever experienced. And Sawtooth Lake is one of those alpine lakes, so we're kind of like up at the top of the mountain, right? And the storm just out of nowhere rolled in, and we were not just seeing the storm, we were in the storm, in the thunderstorm. Uh, And I don't know if you've ever played that game, you know, when when you're in a storm. There was a little bit of thunder yesterday. Anyone hear that, right? Where you can see the lightning and you count. Anyone do that to see, like, how far away? I don't know if that's accurate or whatever, right? But it's like there's a distance between the flash of light and the thunder. There was no distance... It was strobe light. The entire tent was just bright 
And immediately at the same time, it was like the most earth-shattering noise of thunder that you could imagine. And it wasn't just once. It was every 30 seconds for a couple hours. And to, to make matters worse, I mean, we're there. We're hearing trees falling down. We are, we're hearing uh, the, the, the boulders and, and parts of the mountain crumbling into Sawtooth Lake. And I am like trembling. And this is, I am just like, we need to leave, you know? The only thing separating us from the storm was a couple millimeters of nylon tent held up by aluminum poles. And I don't know if you know anything about aluminum. It's a conductor for electricity, right? So I'm like, we're the only ones up here. We have the only metal objects. And I'm just like, we have to leave. And I look at Stephen, and we're, you know, like, pray- yeah, I wish I could say, like, we were just, you know, praying and we were singing hymns. No, I was like, <laughs> I was ready to leave everything. Like, I'll buy new camping equipment and just run blindly in the darkness down to our vehicles. And Stephen was the voice of reason. He was like, if we die, we die. I mean, we're here. <laughs> we're here. We're in the tent. And spoiler, we, we, did, you know, we survived that night. But we woke up the next morning, and no joke, there were like singed trees all around us. And, and like, I, like the things that we were hearing for a couple hours that night, it was sheer terror. It was sheer terror. And the reason why I share that is because uh, this week and last week, it's just a two-week mini-series called Life in the Valley. We find ourselves at moments in our lives where it feels like the world is caving in around us. Uh, We're describing that as the valley, the valley of the shadow of death. And last week, we looked at uh, the most famous psalm, perhaps Psalm 23, And we looked at God's presence, the presence of the Good Shepherd truly is the defining factor that helps us get through the valley. And it's this beautiful psalm that if you ever feel like, you know, you're in a trial and God doesn't care, just read Psalm 23. I will fear no evil for you are with me. And even though God didn't spare you from the valley, he will walk with you through the valley. Amen? And that's a beautiful promise for kind of the personal problems, the things that we are going through. But we're going to look at another famous psalm today, Psalm 46. In fact, if you have a Bible, you can open it to Psalm 46. And Psalm 46 is similar, but it gets at a different aspect of something that really helps us navigate the valley. It's not necessarily highlighting God's personal presence, but God's powerful presence. And we can just be honest here this morning. Have you ever felt like you knew God was with you, right? You, you, you believe that you're saved. You believe that God was with you. His Holy Spirit was with you. But the problem that you're facing, you just weren't quite sure God could do anything about it. You don't have to raise your hands. Or maybe even not just the personal problem you're facing, but the problems that we face as humanity. Can God really solve a pandemic? Can God really make wars cease? And at times, right, I wish we could say that, you know, in that tent, when there's a literal storm raging around me, that I just was filled with so much faith. But there are times in our lives where the world seems so out of control 
and the forces of darkness are so overpowering, you might even affirm the truth of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I know he is with me. But you might have that, that wrestling of doubt. I, I know he's with me, I just don't know if he can do anything. I don't know if he can solve this problem. And that's why we need Psalm 46. So let's go ahead and jump into our text. Psalm 46, we'll, we'll take this one stanza at a time. The first three verses, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its water roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. Latuya Bay, Alaska, I grew up in Alaska. Latuya Bay is a little known bay in the southwestern part of Alaska. In July 9th, 1958, it made history, made history because that is where the largest tsunami in modern scientific history has ever been recorded. I mean, if this description of though the mountains crumble and, and fall into the sea and the, you know, the seas, or if that sounds a little out there to you, just, just think about what happened on July 9th, 1958. A chunk of the St. Elias mountain range fell from the very top into the sea and Latuya Bay, you can see a picture there. It's kind of like a circle, right? So, so imagine the backside, this, this massive rock slide that had force equivalent of an asteroid falling from space fell into the water, and, and it created this wave that then went back on itself and headed back towards the mountain range. The wave was 1,720 feet tall, and it moved at 100 miles an hour. It's the most destructive tsunami that is recorded in, in, in modern human history. Uh, if those numbers don't mean anything to you, 1,720 uh, feet tall, that's taller than the Empire State Building. And if that doesn't mean anything to you, because I've never been to New York City either, <laughs> that's more than five Zion's bank buildings, okay? Think about what a wave like that would do to a city like Boise. Right? I mean, thank goodness there's almost no one there in Latuya Bay, Alaska. But think about the destruction that a wave like that would cause. And that's really this picture of Psalm 46. Uh, the first stanza really talks about these natural disasters, this chaos, these, uh, these forces that seem so out of control. I mean, you know, I talk about a thunderstorm, but think about, imagine for a moment you're there on the shore, Latuya Bay. You see the rock slide, you see the wave go out, and you see it starting to come back at you at a speed of 100 miles an hour. Can you imagine that for a second? What do you do? What do you even do in that situation? I mean, there's not much truly that you can do. I mean, they say that most people have a fight or flight, you know, one or the other, right? Some people freeze, that's maybe another one, but, uh, but you can't really fight a tsunami there's no like, all right, you know, like, <laughs> you can't fight a tsunami. And if you didn't freeze, if you weren't just paralyzed by fear in that moment, most of us would run. We would run. We would try and find a place, and the place that we would try to find would be a place of refuge, 
A refuge is a place of safety, rest, and strength. My place of refuge on Sawtooth Lake was a nylon tent. I think about, uh, I think about cabins like this. I went on a trip uh, growing up. We used to do a hiking trip every year as a youth group uh, in Alaska called Granite Tours. It was a 16-mile loop, and we would do eight miles the first day and eight miles the second day. And one particular day, there was this just like a really bad storm, and none of us were really that good at hiking anyways, and you know, we just weren't prepared for this. We were freezing cold. Even the summers in Alaska don't get like, all that warm. And so we were there, we were freezing, and there is this one cabin, kind of like no electricity, no running water, but there's this at the eight-mile mark, and it was a first-come, first-serve. It was just you know a shack might be a better description, but it was, it was there, and we were just praying, Lord, help there be no one in that cabin. Because there was about a dozen of us, and we needed a place of refuge. And we got there, and sure enough, it was empty. And so we, we, we crammed in there like sardines. The, the shack wasn't even large enough to fit all. Like we're, I still remember it vividly, like lying on my side. Like, and there's just stacks of us youth students. Uh, and yet it was a place of refuge. It was a place where we could actually get warm and dry. It was a place where we could renew our strength. So we would have the opportunity to make the eight-mile trip the next day, and it was a place of safety. Now, imagine that, once again, you're back on that shore, and there's a tsunami coming, and there's some, and probably not a shack, but there's some kind, like a bunker, there's something that exists that's a refuge. And you, if, you, if you hurry, you can make it there before the wave hits the shore. Why would you run anywhere else? Right? Imagine there's a, like a, an impenetrable refuge, a fortress, a, a bunker, and then you have a tent on the other side. And yet, how often in our lives, in these kinds of times where the world seems like it's caving in, do we pick the tent? I mean, we run to all sorts of other things. Do you want to know how I know? It wasn't that long ago that you would go to Walmart and you could not buy a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. I mean, we, we laugh like it's ancient history, but it's two years ago, less than two years ago. And yet, in times where everything's out of control, when the world is out of control, we try to control things. And one of the ways we do that is we, we become selfish. We grab, we try to, you know, we, we, we clench our fists. Uh, we get angry. We post online, we maybe blame the problems on someone else. That person's responsible for the tsunami. It's that whole group, actually. And we kind of demonize the other. Other ways is, is we, we might you know, be, be prone to panic, just overwhelmed, overcome with stress or anxiety, or I think one of the most common ways that we try to uh, control the situation is we just try to ignore the situation altogether. I mean, it's never been easier to distract yourself and it's just hours and hours of screen time on your phone, on the TV, on Netflix, on the computer. You know, name your distraction of choice. And yet, none of those coping mechanisms can actually protect us from the mountains that fall into the sea, from the raging waters, from the chaos, from these, these out-of-control forces in the world around us. But God can. He is our refuge and our strength. And I love that word, he is a present help 
He's, a, he's right there with you. He's a present help. He actually is helpful. He can help you no matter the situation you face. Another situation that's similar to this is Mark chapter four. Jesus is with uh, the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, and it's a crazy storm. We have to remember uh, that some of the disciples were actually fishermen, not like casual fishermen, or they did it as a hobby, like their dads were fishermen, their grandparents were fishermen. They were like, they knew the, they knew the sea, and that means they knew storms. Some of these guys were probably on the boat before they even knew how to walk, okay? So they've seen a thing or two out on the sea, and yet they're in this kind of storm that the disciples have such fear that they're worried they're going to die. Seasoned, you know, veteran fishermen are worried for their own lives. And Jesus is there, and he's so unworried that he's asleep in the boat. And they wake Jesus up, and they say, don't you care that we're dying? Have you ever prayed that prayer, by the way? We kind of assign blame to God. We assume that God doesn't care because, you know, because of the state of the world or because of whatever. And we, we say, don't you even care? We're dying out here. We're dying out here. And this is what Jesus does. He responds in Mark chapter 4, 39 through 41. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea. I mean, imagine someone who can speak to the elements of nature and they listened to him. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? So he was rebuking the wind and the sea. Now he rebukes someone else, doesn't he? He rebukes the disciples. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? There's a lot here. We're not going to be able to unpack it all. But, but this is this beautiful picture of, of God is able to control the forces of nature. There is not, the tsunami's huge. God's bigger. The mountains are huge. God's bigger. He's only our strength because he's stronger, right? He's only our present help because he can help. He's powerful enough to help, and so Jesus just says the word, peace, be still, and he calms the storm. Now we have to be really careful when interpreting scripture. This isn't to say that you know, God's gonna calm every storm in your life, right? We have to be really careful not to kind of like uh, over-allegorize or turn these things into metaphors. Like this is an actual situation that happened, right? Uh, and if you wanna say that God will always calm the storm in your life, what about the apostle Paul? He was shipwrecked multiple times. And he's an apostle on mission for God, okay? So you have to be careful. Like, there was literal storms that the ship, you know, got destroyed. Okay. And yet, what we learn from this is Jesus, when he rebukes, not just him rebuking the wind and the sea, he rebukes the disciples. And what he's, really what he's doing is he's saying, I'm in the boat. I'm in the boat with you. Did you really think if your refuge and your strength, if the Son of God himself is in the boat, do you really think that the storm is gonna overcome? I mean, if your refuge and your strength is right there with you in the boat, then you better not go abandoning ship because the safest place to be is as close to Jesus in that moment as possible. And what's really interesting is, you know, there, there's kind of this, this saying, you know, we want to choose faith over fear. And the reality is, in this moment, 
The disciples began with a fear of the wind and the waves, and at the end of the story, they're no longer, it's not that they're no longer afraid, it says they're actually more afraid. You catch that? They were filled with great fear, even more fear, but this time their fear is actually not against their problems, they have a fear of the Lord, a fear for a, a, a respect and an understanding of who this person is that is with them. Here's the point, when we fear God, we don't have to fear anything else. I know it's not very popular to talk about a fear of the Lord, and yet the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom and understanding. Uh, we, we know that John, the apostle who was there that day, by the way, writes later that perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. So the kind of fear, when we talk about fear of the Lord, we're not talking about being afraid that God is going to punish us, right? If we stand in the grace that God has for us, we don't have to be afraid of you know, the future outcome and, and punishment as, as in judgment. And yet, I wonder how much that we've kind of neglected to recognize the transcendence of our God, Transcendence is a fancy way of saying the beyondness of our God, the greatness, the power of our God. Psalm 23 really speaks into the imminence or the closeness, the intimacy of our God. He's a shepherd. He's with us right there. He knows the name of all of his sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. But Psalm 46 is about the transcendence, the power of our God. And we need to recognize this, especially when everything seems so out of control. We need to recognize the one that we worship, the one that we pray to, his power, his might. And if you're in the boat with him, we shall not fear. And it's easier to say those words, God is my refuge, I won't be afraid, than it is to live as God is your refuge, or to actually run to God as your refuge in times of trouble, but he is truly a very present help in times of trouble. Let's look at the next stanza here. Psalm 46, verse four. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation, I love that phrase, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. So here we move from this idea of present help to a future idea. It's the idea of the morning. Uh, the morning is this idea of promise and in a future kind of hope. It's the idea that no matter how dark things get in our present situation, the sunrise is a certainty. Sunrise is a certainty. We just have to wait it out. We just have to stand firm. We just have to make it through the night. And the, the, the longer the night goes on, sometimes it, it seems like the darker the night gets. But the morning, just as certain as it is that the, the sun will rise tomorrow, Jesus will come back. There's a certainty. There's a future promise and a hope. And, uh, and I don't know about you, but when I look at the future, we don't always have this idea of optimism, Right? Future, we aren't always so optimistic about the future, especially in the days that we live in right now. We live in a time of war. There's a present threat of you know, possible World War III in the world that we live in today. And I'm not, you know, a, uh, I'm not a, uh, a news correspondent. I'm an expert in current events. Maybe you've kept up with the Ukraine 
war. But the reason why this is especially scary is not necessarily because there's war and it's devastating, although that is. Uh, because there's wars, the reality is there's wars that are almost always going on. There's almost always wars going on in different countries, civil wars, wars between uh, countries, you know, conflicts on more of a, uh, a national scale. But this war is especially scary because of, you know, North Atlantic you know, Treaty and all this, you know, other countries being pulled into it and, it, you know, escalating to the point of being a global war. And also the fact that Russia is one of the main countries involved. And this is the closest that the world has been to nuclear escalation since the Cuban Missile Crisis. And that's a scary thing to think about. There are about 12,000 nuclear warheads in the world. Over 90% of those are owned by the United States and Russia. So that, that's why this is especially, if you're not praying for peace in Europe, we need to be, God's people need to be praying right now. We need to be praying for peace in the world. And when we look at the future, and we imagine, you know, I just got finished also reading like a, a sci-fi trilogy about kind of the apocalypse and all this stuff, right? But when we look at the future, I don't think we always think hope. We look at the future and it seems very bleak. It's like the possible outcomes are very dark. And even if you look at the present day, I want to show you a picture of a destroyed school. This is from uh, Kharkiv, Ukraine. Uh, this was April 22nd, 2022. This isn't just some imaginative reality. This is a school that was bombed by Russia. And they, they, you know, they were right on target. Even the uh, basketball court is still intact. The school is totally obliterated. There are, there are numerous schools and hospitals around uh, Russia or around Ukraine that are just being decimated right now. 5.4 million refugees as of May 1st have uh, fled Ukraine, according to UNICEF. And uh, about half of those are children. So just put this into perspective for a moment. I mean, I know at-home learning is difficult. Right? I know like all the things, like imagine that you're a parent of a child in Ukraine and you've just got your kids back to in-person school. And then there's war, and schools are being especially targeted by Russians. And either your children are dead because of a bombing, or they're fleeing to another country. And we look at that, and it's just heartbreaking. And the reason why I bring this up is the first stanza really focuses on these catastrophic kind of natural disaster events. And now here we see the nation's rage the kingdoms, this geopolitical kind of threats. And just like I have no authority over a thunderstorm or we have no authority over a tsunami, it seems like we have very little power against these, these kind of global things that are happening today. And in the midst of even those uncontrollable, hopeless-seeming situations, God speaks and the earth melts. God speaks. In Genesis chapter 1, God speaks, let there be light. Four words in English, it's only two words in Hebrew, and 100 billion galaxies. I mean, that's our most recent you know, Hubble telescope. They say that maybe there's more like 200 billion. Keep discovering more. But 100 billion galaxies are formed with two words from the mouth of God. That's power. That is power to say two words and the known universe expands as we 
know it. You better believe the creative power that God has is also the power to uncreate. The power, the destructive power or the judgment power where God speaks, the earth melts, that's, that's, that's fear that God is striking into the nations that rage and are, are, are wreaking havoc on our world today. This idea of a coming judgment actually is, I know it's not something that's popular to talk about in the American church, but it is a necessary, and I believe something that actually gives us hope, that God will not let wrongs go unpunished. Jesus actually speaks of this in Luke 21, verses 25 through 28. He is speaking about kind of the destruction of, the, of Jerusalem and some other uh, present situations that the apostles are going to face. And it seems like he switches here and he's talking about the second coming in verse 25 of Luke 21. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. This is similar language as Psalm 46, isn't it? People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Now, my point in, in bringing this passage from Luke up is not to say that we need to read your newspaper as, or current events as you know, signs of the end times or anything like that. And yet, Jesus tells us things will get worse before they get better. Things will get bad before he returns, and yet there's this promise that the morning, the sun will rise, the morning will come, and Jesus himself will return, coming on the clouds with power and glory, and your redemption is drawing near. And that should, when we think about that sort of thing, that should give us hope. It should give us hope that we know how the story ends. We know that Jesus is coming back. And there's this city of God that, that we see in Psalm 46, there, where there's rivers flowing through the city of God and God's presence. Does that sound familiar? We talked about this two weeks ago, Revelation 22, right? The city of God is Zion or Jerusalem. And when this Psalm was written, it was likely the assurance that as long as God's presence is in the temple, right? That city would be a stronghold. And the reality is that city fell in AD 70. God's presence left the temple, but the reality is there's another city, a new Jerusalem. There is a city of God where we will dwell forever and we will not be shaken, not because the walls are strong enough. You know, we, we don't have confidence because of the, 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 the size of the walls or because of the spears or because of the tanks or the nuclear warheads. We have confidence in the presence of our God. We have confidence, that the, city, the confidence of the city is dependent on God's holy habitation. And I just wanna ask you, is, is God in your life? Is his holy habitation in your life? Are you a temple of the presence of the Holy Spirit? And if that's the case, you need not fear. You need not fear natural disasters, you need not fear wars and the future because you can have certainty that we know how the story ends. So we have this present help, we have this future hope, and we're actually encouraged as we look at the last few passages here in Psalm 46 to look backwards as well. Psalm 46, verse eight. 
Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And this is probably one of the verses you might know from Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. A fortress is warfare language. This is repeated both in verse seven and in verse 11. Uh, This is a fortress from Romania. I've never actually uh, been to that fortress. I have been to Romania and we did visit castles because there's lots of castles in Romania because there's lots of war in Romania. And a fortress is a place of protection and it's also a place of victory as long as you can outlast your enemies. And according to the previous passage, there's even a water source. There's a life-giving source in our fortress. The God of Jacob himself is our fortress. He's our protection. He's our victory. But this phrase, the God of Jacob, is a way of saying, you know, the God of Israel, is a way of talking about God's covenant with his people. And that's to say that the fortress only works for those who are inside. Look at that picture for a moment. I mean, imagine that the forest, the, the low ground, is where your enemies are, and you know there's the high ground, and there's the fortress, and there's protection, and you decided to just go for a stroll on the path somewhere in between. You're, you would be foregoing your, own, your protection, your victory. The fortress only works for those who are inside, or another way we can say it is God's covenant people, that's who his protection, that's who the victory is guaranteed to those who are within God's covenant. Not just the old covenant for the God of the Israelites, but the new covenant we have available in Christ Jesus himself. Is God your fortress? It's one thing to look at a psalm and be comforted. God is our fortress, he's our refuge, he's our strength. Is God your fortress? Is God your refuge? Is God your strength? He can be. He can be by faith in Jesus Christ, by accepting the gospel, by being saved by God's grace. The reality is the victory that we have, the future hope that we have, it all hinges on the gospel, that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. He died on the cross for your sins and mine, and he rose in victory three days later. And now, by accepting Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. You can have God every single day as your fortress, your strength, your refuge. And today can be the day that you say yes to Jesus. I would encourage you today, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, to pray and ask God to forgive your sin, to lead your life, and to get baptized. I was uh, informed this morning that we're gonna have a baptism after second service today. Isn't that amazing? Maybe you saw online, Nick got baptized Tuesday afternoon and God is drawing continually. Do you realize this? The present active work of the Holy Spirit. God is continually drawing people to himself. And maybe you've been waiting for that moment. I just wanna tell you, stop waiting for that moment. God's help, his protection, his strength is available to you today. Today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your heart and respond today. If you want more information about baptism or you wanna sign up, you can go to hillcityboise.org slash 
baptism, and we would love to walk alongside you in declaring your faith in Jesus Christ. But maybe you've even done that. You've, you've declared your faith in Jesus. It is still important to stay within the walls of the fortress. This is not, right? Even if God is a, the door is wide open to you to come into the fortress, we still need to stay firmly rooted on that foundation. Here's what that means for you. Here's a practice. Build your life on Christ every single day. Build your life on Christ. It's one of the most important things that can get you through any kind of turbulent, chaotic times in this world is to build your life on the foundation, on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. Another teaching of Jesus about storms and troubles comes from Matthew chapter seven, the end of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus uh, compares two different kinds of lives. One, where someone builds their life on unsure foundations, and one when they, where they build their life on a sure foundation. This is what it says, Matthew 7, 24 through 25. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew, or we might say the mountains fell into the sea, right? You name it, right? Whatever happens and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Now, when Jesus describes what it means to build your house on a rock, does he say, the one who said, I've built my house upon a rock? He says, the one who hears my words and does them who stays, who lives their life, who builds their house day by day on Jesus Christ. There are so many shaky foundations that the troubles of this world reveal. They reveal money can't save you, success can't save you, health can't save you, it will fail you, family, strong relationships won't save you, popularity, entertainment won't save you. The only one that can save is only one name under heaven and on earth by which men and women must be saved, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the only unshakable foundation that can get us through those trials. So build your life on him. And then the second practice here comes from that, that often quoted phrase, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know God. Now what's interesting about this phrase is it's often quoted as a way of saying, make sure to take your daily quiet time, which you should definitely do. <laughs> but notice the context of it. What's happening in Psalm 46? There's wars going on. There's mountains falling into the sea. There's chaos. There's all this crazy stuff happening. And, and, and in Psalm 46, uh, Psalm 46, it doesn't say, and everything else will be still so that you can be still and know that he is God. He will calm the storm in your life. Hash, you know, no. It's in the midst of this craziness. Be still and recognize who God is. That's what it means. Recognize the one that we know, the one who is with us, the refuge, the fortress, the strength. Uh, the reason why I kept that word instruction, remember many of the Psalms were like hymns that you would sing, and so it might be an uh, instruction for the musicians. Uh, but one of the common theories around that word selah is it's almost like a musical rest note. You, music, you know, it's like, pause here. <clears throat> and I really like that interpretation of what the word selah means because it's all, it, it goes along with this, word, with this be still. Stop and think about what we just sang. Stop and think about what we just read. Stop and listen. Do you realize that you can be in the boat 
while the storm rages on, and even if the storm is not still, you can be still. I believe that's the lesson Jesus was trying, he was trying to teach his disciples. I didn't have to make the storm still for you to be still. You can be still right now and recognize Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. Remember, look back at all the, the, the wondrous works of the mighty hand of the Lord. Remember the floodwaters. Remember the plagues in Egypt that freed the Israelites from slavery. Remember the walls of Jericho. You wanna talk about a fortress? Jericho was a fortress and guess what happened? The sound of trumpets God used so that the walls came tumbling down. One of those, uh, one of those situations that may have prompted Psalm 46 is actually this, uh, this moment in 2 Kings where Hezekiah is the king and the Assyrians have marched on Judah, the kingdom of Judah, and they're threatening, they're taunting, they're taunting the people of the Most High God. And people are worried, they're scared, they're in Jerusalem, they're in the city of God, and they're worried. Are we going to die? Is this the end? Is the Assyrian army going to overcome? And King Hezekiah prays this prayer in 2 Kings 19, 19. Notice the words. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, his being uh, King Sennacherib, the king of Assyria at this point in time. Save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. That you, O Lord, are God alone. And he just prays this prayer. And there's, there's countless troops surrounding the city. And King Sennacherib wakes up the next morning to 185,000 dead Syrian soldiers. And they pack up their tents and they leave. And that's one of the possible, like, actual situations that may have prompted, it's around the same time period that Psalm 46 was written. God can make war cease. And he can do that through the powerful voice of the Lord. And that should give us, that, that should put the fear of the Lord in us. You do not want to be standing on the other side of that God when he speaks. You wanna be in the boat. You wanna be in the fortress. You wanna be in the refuge. And so what I wanna do here at the end is I wanna just take a moment and I would encourage you to maybe close your eyes. Psalm 46 was popularized. Uh, one, of the, one of the reasons we know it today is, is not only because it's a, a phenomenal psalm, but Martin Luther in the 1500s, he uh, created a hymn out of Psalm 46 called uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And I just wanna close by having us be still in the presence of God. I wanna read to you just the first two verses of this song. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us well. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle.
God, we thank you that we can be still. We can be unshaken regardless of the situations we see, both personally and even the powerful things that seem out of our control in this world because we know, God, you are in control. You hold the whole earth in your hands. You hold all things together. We thank you for the future hope we have. We thank you for the promise that the morning will dawn and Jesus Christ, you will return. We thank you that you are a present help in times of trouble. Right here, right now, you make a difference even if we're in the valley. And God, as we look back, we remember the mighty works you have done by your outstretched arm and we thank you. We thank you for your power and your transcendence and your greatness, oh God. Would we be still in our lives and know you? Pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.